0: Hi, this is John Leahy. Thanks so much for tuning in to Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Broadcast Booth. If you like what you hear, please consider subscribing. We're on the major platforms like Apple and Spotify. We come out with brand new episodes every Wednesday with refreshing content. So I thank you for your support. And again, you're listening to Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Broadcast Booth. And I encourage you to subscribe. Thanks and enjoy this week's episode. And hello everyone, welcome to the latest edition of... It out. Files from Leahy's broadcast booth. I'm John Leahy. Thanks so much for being with us on the podcast this week. A big thank you to my guest last week. The former voice of the Hartford Whalers and Carolina Hurricanes, Chuck Caton, was with us. Chuck and I talked about classic NHL arenas, and we're going to have Chuck back in March. Uh, We're going to continue the discussion. Uh, Time did not allow us to uh, obviously get to all of them, so Chuck uh, will be back with us, and uh, we look forward to hearing from Chuck Caton once again. And if you'd like to hear that episode or any other episode that we've done, please feel free to head over to lehistorytelling.com That's the website we have for this podcast. You can find any episode uh, that we've done in the past. You can listen to any episode. You can also rate uh, episodes, uh, either uh, written or you can leave a review from zero to five stars. There is also a blog uh, up there, and also some videos that I've done, with some uh, music that I've uh, done, so uh, all kinds of neat stuff. You can also uh, reach out and uh, leave a uh, voice message. There's a there's a uh, purple microphone in the lower right corner of each page, and uh, you can feel free to reach out. So lots of ways to uh, connect here on the podcast. Well, uh, this week we are going to be speaking with author Kirk McKnight, who is. A renowned author, he has written two books, one of which is called The Voices of Baseball, The Game's Greatest Broadcasters, Reflect on America's Pastime. We're going to talk about that book in particular because uh, Kirk has a revised edition uh, in the works. So, Kirk, uh, we want to welcome you to the podcast. Thanks so much for being with us out in Arizona tonight.
1: Thanks for having me. How's the weather where you are?
0: A lot colder where you are. I can tell you that much right now. (laughs) So... uh, (laughs) Here in New England we uh, we expect uh, weather like that but uh, Kirk uh you know I want to talk to you about your book because uh it, it's a tremendous book it's a it's a book that uh looks at the game of baseball through uh the broadcaster's eyes and the broadcaster's perspective so before we get into it I'd like to ask you you know where did your love of uh broadcasting and sports uh start where did it begin
1: uh, I mean I guess you could say it started just uh, being from Vegas, you know, back in the eighties and nineties, you know, the closest team to Las Vegas would have been the Dodgers. And when you have the Dodgers, you have Ben Scully. So yep. tuning into, I believe it was 1460 for a while. And then it was 720, all kinds of different stations picked it up. Eventually uh, it's bounced around so many different AM radio stations in Las Vegas but that was that was one of the things just listening you know to baseball on a on a night drive with my family you know pretty much a baseball game would be on the radio or something like that we'd be driving back from somewhere so it was always so soothing it was always Absolutely. so soothing hearing somebody like Vince Scully hear him on the voice and hear his voice on the radio and and I've always loved baseball, and I've always loved the way that it's called. You know, I mean, I, I have written a book on hockey broadcasters, and it's a completely different beast, Broadcasting Hockey. I heard you talk about Chuck Caton, and he's actually one of the per- people I interviewed for my hockey book. And it's a world of difference between the two. But I, I will say I love the just relaxed state of listening to a baseball game on a su- on a summer evening, I guess. That's just – it's nostalgia, I guess, or whatever you want to call it.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It
1: stuck with me basically over all the years, I guess you could say, too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, when you – came up with the idea to write the book the voices of baseball Um, it's presented in such a way that you look at all the different ballparks in major league baseball and and the broadcasters give you perspective on uh, not only the ballpark itself but but the some of the history of the team Uh, where did the concept for the book uh, first come about
1: well that was that was the thing was it's like you said, the differences in ballparks. I got to sit in there thinking about how each ballpark has its own identity. You know, it's no longer the the days of the cookie cutters that you know were Three Rivers Stadium, Riverfront Stadium, and uh, Veterans Stadium, and you know even Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. All those four practically were <laughs> cut from the same cloth, you know, just dimension wise and the the configuration and and now you know when you think of the ballparks like Camden Yards or Oriole Park at Camden Yards and and Oracle Park over there in San Francisco you're like wow you know they really just kind of take their liberties in making the ballpark and the outfield dimensions and just the way they construct it so I thought you know there's something there's something to say about that you know I know that a lot of people write books on well, what's the best thing to eat in you know, on a ballpark and But when you think about the different features of ballparks, you start to get kind of stuck on the subject. And then I thought, well, I'm not going to sit here like these, you know, Fromers guide people and say, well, this and this and this, you know, about this ballpark. I'm like, why don't I, you know, why wouldn't I just ask the broadcasters who are there longer than anybody for their perspective? And so that's where it started because I just thought, well, you know, broadcasters are there longer than most of the players the managers the owners the gms whatever you want a lot of the times the broadcasters unless they get fired by those gms and owners and presidents of the organization they'll right. be there a lot longer time so they have a lot more tenure they have a lot more experience and you know 81 games a year you get quite a good sample there and you multiply that by 34 or 50 years
0: yeah absolutely pretty
1: much say everything
0: Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things I loved about reading the book is uh, the broadcasters talk about What makes their particular ballpark unique? You know, like, for example, uh, the Green Monster at Fenway Park. You had a chance to talk to uh, Joe Castiglione uh, to do uh, the chapter on the Red Sox. And, uh, you know, my favorite uh, aspect of the book, uh, of course, is the uniqueness. But I I just finished reading uh, the chapter on the Dodgers where you talk about Southern California traffic and you can see all the brake lights. outside dodger stadium so talk a little bit about how fun it was to comment and and learn about the uniqueness of the ballparks from the broadcaster's perspective
1: yeah because when i first started the book you know i had been to my fair share of ballparks but mostly on the west coast but dodger stadium was one of them and when you go to dodger stadium you the first thing you're going to notice is your trek into the ballpark and the last thing you're going to remember is your trek out of it so that whole thing where you see that parking lot, you know, it's 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 a, the configuration of Dodger Stadium on that Chavez Ravine and just the fact that the parking lot just kind of wraps around it like some kind of corkscrew. You know, the parking yep. lot just wraps around everything like some corkscrew and and you're gonna see the brake lights, you know, you're gonna see the headlights cars coming in you know just after sunset you know it's still the first inning and you see headlights coming at you and you're annoyed you're like why are these people already here I can't see <laughs> and if i lift my eyes a little too much i'm i'm looking at headlights and then and then it's the eighth inning and you're like where are all these guys going why are all these brake lights everybody's leaving there's the game's still going <laughs> and uh you know if you if And uh, I made a comment like that uh, about, you know, the introductory chapter, even before I start talking about the ballparks, it's, you know, uh, Gibson's home run in the 88 World Series. The people were filing out of Dodger Stadium because Eckersley was on the mound. And I made the comment, I was like, I guess a half hour less on the 110 was worth, you know, trading for history and being part of history because these people were out and trying to beat the traffic. And they missed one of the most theatrical moments in baseball history.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I read the I read the chapter on that, and uh, Vin Scully actually uh, went to when they were at commercial break. They told the producer, "Hey, you know, follow me," because you know he just had a premonition that uh, something exciting was going to happen. And uh, you know, Vin says, uh, "You know, I, I guess we're not going to see Kirk Gibson tonight." And then he looks out of the corner of his eye, and Gibson uh, comes up to the plate, and 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 hits the home run, and then Vin lays out for a couple of minutes. uh, um, You know that's one of the great stories in the book.
1: And I mean, there's so many broadcasters that take cues from Vin's moment there, and, and decide to let the crowd tell the story. Joe Buck is one of those. Rex Hudler is another. You know, some of the better ball broadcasters out there will realize it's kind of an exercise of futility (laughs) to try to say (sighs) anything in that moment when the ball when the broadcast booth is just completely erupting and it feels like the roof is coming off the place because of the crowd um and so and 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 then again you also have the opposite effect of that where you're winning in a visiting (laughs) yeah and you're a visitor you're winning in that ballpark and you know uh this is part of the the new edition of uh, the voices of baseball is that Ryan Lefevre uh, for the Kansas city Royals, you know, when the Royals won in 2015, that game yeah. five that they won was in, in Shea or not Shea call in city field. And when that out was made, you know, that final out in the caught in center field or wherever it was, he said that the place went absolutely silent. You know, whatever life was there was just sucked right out of it. and It was hard in that situation, because usually you can kind of feel more comfortable, you know, showing emotion, you know, with the crowd kind of moving along with you. But when you got a, when you're in a broadcast booth and the windows are open and the, and the ballpark just falls silent, it's a little, uh, it's a little different. It's a little kind of, it's a different story.
0: Absolutely. So how long did the, did the project take to complete the book from start to finish?
1: Well, I'd say now it's been eight years now with and you know I I, the first time around when I did the original edition I'd say it was about a year year and a half before it finally came out and since it came out you know I came I went back and I interviewed 17 more broadcasters over the years just when different things would happen for example when when the Astros won the World Series in 2017 I interviewed Robert Ford you know the book had already been out. But I was like, well, if there's ever another edition, I can at least have this one in the can. Same thing with the Washington Nationals winning it all in 2019. You know, things where a team hadn't actually ever won before, you kind of want to throw some interview in there and, and get some more material just in case something ever comes up and then you have it ready to go. And that's what happened. I had different interviews with different broadcasters highlighting some of the things that have happened since the book's original edition came out, for example, the 2015 World Series account by Ryan LeFever of the Royals and Charlie Steiner calling the 2020 World Series from his living room. Right. <laughs> you know we had yeah. we
0: had Tim Neverd on uh, last year, and uh, Tim wrote a book about uh, the COVID pandemic called uh, COVID Curveball, and he uh, talked about that. So uh, yeah, that that uh, certainly was an interesting time.
1: The. I really love Charlie's account because Charlie kind of had his introduction to baseball broadcasting by just sit there in front of the radio in his basement, you know, and just sitting there kind of calling the game along, listening to the radio. And, you know, he's calling his first Dodgers World Series championship 65 years later from his living room. (laughs) So he
0: went from (laughs) the basement
1: to the living room doing the same thing, (laughs) except for on a more official status.
0: So I got to ask you, Kirk, uh, you know, you interviewed uh, all these Major League Baseball broadcasters. How how fun was it to to interview Vin Scully and get his input on the project? And I wanted to also talk about Vin's passing in a moment. But uh, how fun was it to learn from the greatest that ever uh, laced up a microphone?
1: I mean, it's, it's still to this day the best interview I've ever done, or at least the most memorable. Uh, I, I wouldn't say it's the best because sometimes I'm a lot more on point. When you're talking to somebody like Vin Scully, it's kind of hard not to be nervous. But the wonderful thing about Vin is he is very, very uh, gracious. Uh, he is very gracious, and he's very kind, and he never makes you feel like you should feel uncomfortable. There's there's broadcasters who can be intimidating, not that they mean to be any kind of way. It's just they're, they're, they're you know, they're, what do you want to call it, they're... <laughs> I'm trying to think of a word, their countenance is, is what I would say, but it's more of a, you know, it's more of a, uh, an emotional countenance about it that kind of makes you kind of stay, you know, keep yourself at bay. Like starstruck. So more,
0: yeah. Starstruck. Like, starstruck. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you can be, a, you can be a little uptight and a little bit nervous and agitated, but within, you know, when you say, Oh, thank you, Mr. Scully for calling me. He's like, Kirk, please call me Vin." Right. You know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if he's talking to an eight-year-old, a forty-year-old, a a person his same age. You know, it's always please call me Vin. Please don't call me Mr. Scully. And people are just surprised by that because the amount of respect they feel he is due, which he is due, but he just kind of lets you just relax right then that moment, like please just call me Vin, and we'll get that out of the way. <laughs> and there's a lot of broadcasters that are like that. You know, they'd say please don't call me that. My my father is that. My father is Mister. This. Right. My name is this.
0: <laughs> right, and I, I've done that myself. Uh, I, I don't want to be called Mister. Leahy. I, I'm always, you know, my father was Mister. Leahy. I, I know exactly what you're, what you're getting at, but. Uh, Uh, You also had a chance to talk to uh, Joe Castiglione. I want to bring him up because uh, this podcast uh, emanates from Massachusetts. Boston's about an hour from here. And uh, uh, Joe, of course, has been with the Red Sox since 1983, and uh, he's got a long, rich history with the Red Sox. I imagine uh, he had some stories to tell when you talk to him.
1: Yeah, I I really enjoy talking to Joe because you know know when you're talking to somebody who broadcasts for the – Red Sox that there's no scrubs here. This is the Boston Red Sox. Same thing with talking with somebody like John Sterling for the New York Yankees or Charlie Stein of the Los Angeles Dodgers. You're like, no scrubs here. (laughs) You know, you're, this is, this is a high calling. Some of the greatest have ever, who have ever called the game, Kurt Gowdy, uh, you know, uh, Vin Scully, Red Barber, Mel Allen, you know, you just throw those names out. Those are people who have held these positions and that, and that, and that seat in that park deserves and demands that respect, and they do not, they do not let down or uh, disappoint in that aspect. So talking with Joe about Fenway, you know, the oldest ballpark in baseball, and just the the stories he could tell, the way that things that you would not normally think of, all the little things that kind of add up to win a game, you know. Uh, when you look at the Red Sox coming down from three games down against the Yankees, that all started with a stolen base by Dave Roberts. You know, yeah, <laughs> so,
0: yep. that's right.
1: I mean, one of the, the the most historic collapse on one end, the most historic comeback on the other. It all started with a stolen base.
0: And Absolutely, they point to that moment. Yep. Yeah, we call it the steal. They point to that moment. Yep, we call it the steal here in Boston. Uh, to this right. very that's, day. and that's
1: and and it's that's what's wonderful is you can say the steal in some in some hockey towns. They'll call it the save, where right. it's like that goalie stopping a puck that basically shifted the entire momentum of the series and led to the win. And the steal is that point, that moment, that that pivotal moment.
0: Exactly, exactly. And so, uh, as I mentioned, the book is divided into chapters, and each major league ballpark has a chapter, and each broadcaster talks about the uh, – moments of history and what makes each ballpark unique so uh now you're coming up with a a second edition Uh, so tell us what's in the 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 newer edition now well
1: i'm very proud to say i finally spoke with bob euchre um awesome (laughs) not too much in the book in the terms of euchre but enough and euchre doesn't have to say much to make it be special You know what what he's what he contributed to the book. I mean, the very very opening page of the book is him telling how he began his broadcasting career doing it by himself because he was he was on there with two other people. You know, he was on there with Merle Harmon and and Tom Collins, and they basically just left. They left the bullpen. They left they left the booth and and so. He was sitting there holding the cop switch down, like "Please come back, come back." And they just walked right out of the bo- They walked right out of the booth in Yankee Stadium, and all of a sudden, the producer says, "Bob, there's one out. You better start talking."
0: <laughs> <laughs> and the rest, as they say, is history. You know, uh, with his great career in Milwaukee and. Uh, of course, before his broadcasting career, his uh, innate ability to uh, make fun of himself, which is has is, is endeared uh, him to many fans.
1: Yeah, I mean he 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 has a lot of fun doing what he's doing, and a lot of people. What's funny is what cracks me up about Euchre is is everybody sits there and refers to his Harry Doyle moments almost seemingly more than they refer to as Brewers moments because right. you know the Brewers market is is what it is and. Harry Doyle in Major League it's a classic David S. Ward uh, the screenwriter of my favorite movie ever The Sting writing a screenplay about baseball and and it's just so memorable just a memorable script a memorable character and it's so funny they just kind of refer back to him
0: right so now with the new edition, uh, I, I'm guessing that you had a chance to talk to uh, other broadcasters that you're incorporating into the next edition. Who were some of the other broadcasters that uh, that you had a chance to talk to?
1: Uh, Bob Costas and Tim McCarver are, are the two other Hall of Famers that I add to the to the list. And Bob Costas, wow, <laughs> I can't say enough about yeah the poignance, the the uh, the eloquence of of his speaking just from so many years of doing it. And just, just like all broadcasters do, just pinpointing all the details, all the little things of a game from 40 years ago, you know, or close to 40 years ago, talking about the Steve – sorry, the Steve, no, the Ryan Sandberg game in 84. It's his most memorable game, and he goes into so much detail, and it's such a, it's such a classic game, and he said that there's been no less than three documentaries on that game alone that have been made and produced.
0: Wow. And of course, Tim McCarver was uh, an analyst uh, for uh, ABC for many years. Tim, uh, of course, uh, was a catcher in the big leagues, and he's worked with uh, some of the very best. Al Michaels comes to mind. And uh, how fun was it to uh, get Tim's point of view for the book?
1: It was good uh, with Tim. Basically, you're talking to somebody who knows exactly what they're talking about. And it's it's good to talk with broadcasters about, the moment but it's also good to talk to broadcasters about the moment from a broadcaster's perspective you know everybody knows the moment but not everybody knows the way the broadcaster looks at it and not a lot of people know tim mccarver calling game seven joe bucks obviously on the lead but tim you know as as that color commentator kind of adding his little piece there talking about the problem with playing Mariano Rivera and having Mar- Mariano Rivera pitching and playing the infield in is that he, he, gives up a lot of those kind of contact on the fists where it can land like deep in the, in the infield. And in the with the drawn in infield, that's exactly what happened. That, that, uh, with, if the infield was playing normal depth, that Luis Gonzalez thing, uh, it would not have been a hit. It would have been caught by the shortstop, you know, but he was drawn too far in, and easily the you know the winning run easily scored. And Joe Buck is sitting there in the moment, and he calls you know Diamondbacks win the World Series, and he high fives McCarver at the same time because McCarver just nailed it. He nailed it. Yeah. And not a lot of people realize he nailed it because they're so caught up in the moment of Gonzalez getting that hit. But but when you talk about a perfectly timed uh, uh, what do you want to call it just observation that yeah. was it
0: <laughs> well we had a guy here in Boston that was very similar uh, Jerry Remy and uh, Jerry was Jerry was one of the special ones who could tell you what was going to happen before it happened uh, just as you described and we lost Jerry uh, about uh, a year and a half ago but uh, to find analysts like that and be able to listen to him uh, Kirk that's very special
1: yeah, I mean, and I know the Red Sox have been holding a, having a heavy heart for Jerry and having the number, basically his number as a player, right? They kind of stitched it on their uniforms for some time there, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they were talking about renaming the street outside the ballpark, one of the streets, uh, to Jerry Remy Way. I'm not sure if that uh... – if that passed or not but i know that, that that was a discussion that was going on for a while but uh, i'm curious uh, you know you had a chance to talk to uh, joe buck did joe have any uh, great stories about his dad i mean there are countless and endless ones i'm sure
1: he did and unfortunately <laughs> you're going to have to get one of the earlier versions of the book to get the to get joe's take on his dad unless we unless we center in on game uh, game 6 of the 2011 world series where he kind of Channeled his dad and uh, said, We'll see you tomorrow night. They called it. Right. You know, J- Jack made so famous in the 91 World Series when uh, the puck at home run, basically the walk off, force game seven, and, and that the Twins would win the next night. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he did say it once before. And that was one of the things that Joan mentioned was, in Game Six in 2002, when the Angels had that big comeback against the Giants, he said that, and that was the first time he said it. And it wasn't like he planned it, yeah. but it just came naturally. And of course, how how uh, how perfect to be calling, you know, a, a Cardinals game, and using a legendary Cardinals broadcasters, uh, some a phrase that he's so well known for, and and that's exactly just how the universe kind of came together. And it's not like Joe planned it out; it just happened, and it just worked perfectly. So I was able to talk to him about that. And and you know, he said basically, he said, I wanted to be what my dad wanted to be. If my dad was an astronaut, I'd wanted to be an astronaut. If he was a cop, I'd want to be a cop, but he was a broadcaster, and of course, I want to be a broadcaster because he just looked up to his dad so much. And it was it was kind of a really cute moment, (laughs) kind of a touching moment just hearing him talk talk about his dad like that. And you know, and I'm sure people who are more familiar with Jack Buck. You know who are around went in the days when he broadcast for the Cardinals and and when even back way back when Harry Carey and him were broadcast partners, uh, how they'd probably see that moment and be really appreciative of it, just having such a fandom of somebody like Jack Buck.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, you mentioned Harry Carey. You know, when I was working in Kalamazoo, I actually worked at the same radio station that Harry did when he was when he worked in Western Michigan. So I guess that's my claim to fame. But, uh, you know, just to be able to uh, talk to all these broadcasters, uh, you know, I, I just have immense respect for you that you were able to pull us off and, and you pulled it together in a great book. Um, so when, uh, when can we expect the next edition and uh, where can people get it?
1: It'll be out in April. Uh, you can get it uh, anywhere books are sold online. I was going to mention that the website or the uh, the publisher offers a 30% off discount if you use a, a coupon code. Uh, the, the the website is N.com. That's roman.com, and if you use code R L F A N D F 30, you will get 30% off the book. And uh, it's probably going to be cheaper than what you can get it for on Amazon. Um, but you can always get it on Amazon if you choose to do that route all just the same. Uh, I just want to throw that plug out there for the uh, publisher because I think it'll probably be the the best price. You can get a book. It's going to be a hardcover book, beautiful cover. They do a really good job of of putting out those hardcover books. uh, The publisher does. And so if if you get a chance to get in hardcover, which is the first edition that'll come out uh, with this updated edition is, is uh, I would definitely jump on that.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. We're talking with Kirk McKnight, is the author of The Voices of Baseball, the game's greatest broadcasters reflect on America's pastime. Kirk is uh, now getting a second edition of the book out, and as you just heard, it will be available in April. I, for sure, am going to get the newest copy. I can't wait uh, to dive right in. Now, you also wrote another book uh, called The Voices of Hockey, Broadcasters Reflect on the fastest game on earth. Now, this was, uh, I guess, along the same lines as your baseball book, but uh, the, the biggest difference I can see is that uh, the broadcasters uh, from the National Hockey League side uh, not so much talk about the arenas that the teams play in, but uh, each team had its own uh, particular history and memories, and uh, the broadcasters reflected on those memories from uh, the broadcasters' perspective. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah, it is. You know, there is more uniformity in NHL than there is in Major League Baseball, of course. Uh, but what I tried to what I tried to really pinpoint on in the Voices of Hockey is just the craziness, the rivalries, the the enforcers, the way the game used to be played. You know, you can't really you can't really have a big foot stepping forward if you're just talking about the different arenas because they're not much different than each other. You know, yeah. once you get inside the doors, you're looking at an arena you know, walking into the arena, that's different, you know, but once you get in there and you see everything, it's, it's very, uh, very uniform, you know, especially since TD garden came about and the old Boston garden left. That was one of the main, that was one of the main points of at least talking about the Bruins and, and and the eras of the Bruins is that they bred, bred. (laughs) you guys are, you guys are cows anyway. No, they, they, (laughs) They drafted and, 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 and farmed and, and, and dealt for players knowing that, you know, 41 games out of the year, you have a little bit more of a confined environment uh, area wise in, in on the ice. And they were able to use that to their advantages, you know, a lot. And that's the same thing that baseball teams do is they, they use that to the advantage and teams coming out of places like Tampa Bay or Toronto just can't wait to get out because they hate playing in this unique environment that's different than practically all of the rest of baseball and so that was kind of how hockey was too so you can't with the exception of Boston Garden and a couple other things those places aren't even here anymore so you know we're all uniform we all have the (laughs) same dimensions as far as the playing surface goes so where do you go from there you got to talk about the stuff that happens on the ice not necessarily the way
0: it looks outside of it absolutely well i had a chance to work with the san jose sharks back uh, in the early 90s from 91 to 93 and i'm good friends with uh, sharks radio broadcaster dan rusinowski but i was particularly drawn to that chapter uh because uh, a lot of it is relevant to my own experience i worked in the cow palace for a couple of years when the sharks were just starting out and then of course they moved to the new arena in uh, downtown san jose so uh you had a chance to talk with the uh, sharks broadcaster dan rusinowski and uh I imagine that must have been a fun chapter to write.
1: It it was and and I believe I had to include this. This was this was told from the account of another broadcaster. I think it was from the Detroit Red Wings broadcaster because he came in as a visiting broadcaster, but you know, they were lowering Sharky down to the ice and the and the little you know via wench, you know, and uh, and uh, and a cord. Did I say wench? I meant to say <laughs> that's not what <laughs> I <meant to> say. <laughs> We're not pirates here. Yeah, they were lowering him via pulley and a cord kind of thing, and it got stuck. And you know, here he is—you know, good, still probably good, seventy or eighty feet above the ice. And they're like, they can't get him up or down. People are getting impatient because, like, are we going to start this game? Like, you know, the visiting team is starting to get a little aggravated. Like this, this pomp and circumstance is really getting on my nerves. I'm coming to play hockey, not watch a guy get stuck. And (laughs) and they uh, and when it look like they weren't going to be able to get it moving back or forward, get them lowered or even raised back up to the rafters to, to get him unhooked. They start bringing out these wrestling mats out on the ice. Right. And people are sitting there like those wrestling mats are just as hard to land on as the ice. You might as well just not even have them out there. Like you're going to drop him 80, you know, 80 feet from the air to slap Mac against one inch rubber mats that are backed by <laughs> solid ice. <laughs> you're going to kill the guy. So you know when 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 you think of craziness, the mascots will come into uh, into effect. And I think I have more mascot stories in in the voices of hockey than I do in the voices of baseball. And I mean, if if I can take a second to uh, tell another one, oh please, I know people would want to people would want to buy the book just hearing this story. And I this might happen in Carolina if I'm not mistaken. Whatever whatever team brought who brought out a a pig as a mascot and what they thought was going to be a good idea was to introduce this mascot as a pregame ceremony by having him birthed out of the Zamboni oh like man he, like he, <laughs> and and the problem is they had him like in this little chamber in the Zamboni where he could fit in there and so they're going to you know drive the Zamboni around they're going to have him come out well Inside that chamber, you're not too far from all the exhaust and all the gears and everything else like that that runs when the Zamboni's running. Right. You got all this exhaust and all kinds of fumes and all kinds of smoke going on there. That's – it's like being inside an engine of a truck or something. Oh, yeah. And he's – and you think of somebody that's inside a mascot costume and not able to, like, communicate, hey, get me out of here. I'm dying. And, you know, he kind of just collapses out of the thing. And you know they're having the hardest time taking the head off of it so that they can get him to breathe because you know even though you're out of the zamboni you're still not out of the out of the costume and you're still recycling very stale and stagnant air that's filled with exhaust fumes and <laughs> they finally get the head <laughs> off and this guy is as, as asphyxiated as it gets and it's just a huge spectacle. And this has all happened in front of everybody because somebody thought it was a good idea to have a, a pig
0: birthed out of the back of a zamboni <laughs> <laughs> oh that's crazy and by the way for the record i should mention that uh, scotty bowman was the one who was getting aggravated at the uh situation with sj Sharkey. uh that was uh i remember picking up on that in the book so uh uh if if you haven't read the book you know my hockey uh fans and people out there you got you got to check it out because it's just jam-packed with the uh, with great stories. And uh, again, that uh, that's available anywhere books are sold as well, right, uh, Kirk?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I'll tell people if you, you know, try Amazon, but yeah, anywhere you can find a book, books online, you'll find Voices of Hockey as well.
0: Uh, that's awesome. Kirk, I see uh, that you're a big music aficionado. You've uh, played uh, drums for three and a half decades. You've played uh, with a bunch of bands there on the Las Vegas Strip. That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. That was, that was a fun way to make some supplemental income for a year. That, I'll tell you good stories to tell there. All yeah. my friends come into the bars to watch me play and I'd be playing it. Like <laughs> I'd be playing at these uh, rock, you know, these uh, country bars. And so they have the mechanical bowls and, and you'd have all kinds of people riding mechanical bowls. So plenty of stories from behind the the drum set there and, and everything that goes down.
0: Oh, that's great. Now, how cool is it to have an NHL team out in Vegas now? And not to mention the Las Vegas Raiders. So Vegas is becoming quite the sports town.
1: Yeah. I mean, finally got a championship with the WNBA. Um, Yeah. So they have three, you know, they have three major professional teams out there. Uh, And, uh, and the word is that they're going to get an NBA team eventually. I think that's the big push to get the NBA there. They got plenty of, They don't just, you know, the the Vegas Golden Knights play in uh, T-Mobile Arena, but you don't have to go far to find any number of places uh, that could hold a a major sports franchise. And uh, T-Mobile is one of them, Uh, you know, and uh, so if the NBA wants to come there, they already have T-Mobile there for them, but there's also plenty of other options for uh, games to be played. And uh, not so much, I don't know, I, you know, with – I hear, I hear chatter about the Oakland athletics going to Vegas. I think those might be starting to come to a stop because of what I just read not too long ago about them having this whole plan with that complex out there in Oakland, uh, with Alameda County where the, you know, where Oakland Coliseum is and where uh, Oracle arena and all those you know sites are. I, I don't know. So maybe that Oakland, uh, Las Vegas athletics is, uh, not going to be a thing of the future anymore. I don't know.
0: Well, if Major League Baseball does not get a team in Las Vegas, you still have a Triple A team out there, and uh, that's mm-hmm. uh, that's quite the uh, team out there. They're managed by a guy I worked with in Kalamazoo, Fran Reardon. So, uh, you know, I, I'm hoping that uh, Fran gets the call up to the bigs. But you have uh, you have that team out there, the Aviators, and uh, that's a good take.
1: That's a great ballpark, too. By the way, uh, before COVID, I only had one season to uh, kind of go to that ballpark and and uh I'll tell you that's one of the most comfortable seating you can ever have they have like this kind of like tensile threading seating where you know it just kind of takes your body into it you know kind of like sitting in a hammock <laughs> oh, yeah. so it's not like sitting even even sitting on a cushion seat for 3 hours you start to get a little bit of you know sore behind Uh, With this kind of seating they have at this ballpark, you do not have that problem. It is just as comfortable a seating as you can get. And I've been to plenty of major league ballparks that still do not have that kind of comfortable seating.
0: And Kirk, you uh, write for the Wickenburg Sun. Uh, You're one of the staff writers there. Uh, How enjoyable is that to be able to write locally out there in Arizona?
1: It's enjoyable, and you'd be very surprised the kind of people you meet here in this tiny little town, you know, it's 50 miles West of Phoenix. And, and I've met, I've met, uh, Richard Petty. Nice. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I've met, uh, let's see, 27 time world champion, uh, rodeo star Trevor Brazil. And, you know, I, I probably will have a chance to meet Val Kilmer because this is where, this is where Val Kilmer grew up. And, you'll every once in a while, you might see him pop up in around. I still haven't yet, but maybe I will eventually one day.
0: <laughs> uh, the question I got to ask you is how far are you from Winslow, Arizona? The, the town oh, made famous in the Eagles song.
1: Yeah, I am probably three hours from Winslow. Okay. Uh, Flagstaff's, Flagstaff's two hours. And from what I understand, the lyric was supposed to be for Flagstaff. I, there's there's a lot of chatter, and I was I was in Flagstaff, uh, you know, when I was out RVing and touring around the country. I stayed in Flagstaff for a couple of weeks, and they told me that this place where his hot dog stand is now was the corner that that Glen Fry was singing about. <laughs> he was standing on a corner in Flagstaff, but you know that doesn't have the flow to it. Yeah, so you gotta go about, yeah. You got to go about you got to go about 70 miles east or however far it is along that 40 and you get to Winslow. And when you get to Winslow, I mean it's like as if the Eagles it's like Eagleland. It's like if Disneyland changed to the Eagles thing because you just have you know you have a you have a bronze statue of of uh, Glen Fry right there. You got you got a a flatbed Ford parked along the curve <laughs> Just so many things from and the song is playing constantly right there on the speakers on my-
0: yeah i can imagine i can imagine kirk where can people follow you and where can people uh, get updates on the new book
1: uh you can always follow me on facebook uh you know just 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 add me as a friend on facebook uh, or you can follow me on twitter um but i would just say just uh i'd, I'd say more from facebook or just check uh check your local papers and people will be reviewing the book i'm trying to get into every baseball market i can have somebody review it but if you're going to follow me you can always follow me on twitter i'll eventually tweet more and more but facebook seems to be the best bet i probably should create my own facebook author page but yeah i haven't really done that but i you know i will start doing more updates there is a page on facebook for the voices of baseball so you can keep you know, your ear to the ground and find out anything new that's happening.
0: And what is your, what is your handle on Twitter?
1: Uh, the voices of baseball. Okay. At Oh no, sorry for Twitter. No, sorry. The Twitter is at the voices of MLB.
0: Oh, okay. At the voices and of then, MLB. Yep.
1: Yeah. And then on Facebook, you can say the voices of baseball and you'll go to my page and you can follow it and you can get updates and I'll probably share links once the book's Available. I do have links on there already, so you can pre-order the book. Uh, the more pre-orders, the the better chance it has of getting some more exposure and getting a little bit more buzz about it. You know, I've been I've been really circling the wagons, trying to get all the baseball markets to be talking about it by the time it comes
0: out. Outstanding. Well, Kirk, you can count me in as far as uh, uh, getting the book. I I will pre-order it as well. I have uh, the two original books, and uh, they're a very important part of my connection. I want to thank you for uh, spending some time with us uh, tonight. I know you're a couple of hours behind us in terms of uh, the time zone, but I know how busy you are, and I'm grateful that you took the time. And I really want to help get the word out about uh, your new book because uh, it's going to be fantastic, and I can't wait to read it. So thanks again for spending some time here. Here tonight
1: yeah thanks john i really appreciate all your interest too i mean it's great it's great talking with people that that can really nail all the subject matter and and just you know we're talking about all these geographical locations and, and you pinpointing san jose as well as boston that's what i love about the book it's for all the markets it's for all the corners of the country and and north america if you want to you know talk about the voice of hockey you know there's has got a few uh, teams up north of the border as well
0: Absolutely. Well, uh, his name is Kirk McKnight, and he is the author of the Voices of Baseball, the game's greatest broadcasters reflect on America's pastime. Also, the Voices of Hockey broadcasters reflect on the fastest game of Earth on Earth, and uh, Kirk's new book will be out in April, and I urge you all to uh, grab a copy of it. Kirk, thanks again for being with us, and next week we're going to have Shireen Starman on with us. She is the uh, color commentator, uh, ringside reporter, rather, for uh, CBS uh, Sports Network. Uh, Shireen is the wife of Dave Starman, uh, and we've had him on twice, and uh, we're going to have Shireen on next week. So thanks so much for being with us, and uh, join us next week as we are joined by Shireen Starman. You've been listening to Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Broadcast Booth. We'll talk to you next week. Mitochondrial disease is a rare multi-symptom disease characterized by breakdowns in the mitochondria, which are specialized compartments that are present in every cell of the body except red blood cells and are responsible for creating more than 90% of the energy needed by the body, to sustain life and support growth, a disease most commonly associated with children. Currently, there is no cure, just management of symptoms. Hugs for Mito, Inc. is mitochondrial disease, rare disease advocacy, awareness, fundraising for research trials, and hopefully a cure. To learn more, please visit hugsformito.org.